it again. Okay. Check, check. There we go. Okay, I'm good. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. I'm uh, really, really honored to be here. Um, is it okay if I move? Is that all right? Okay. I don't know what the protocol is here, but um, again, my name is uh, Philip Pattison, as Cindy said, and um, I'm from a church called South Bay uh, down in South San Jose, and um, I just want to say before we jump in, uh, again, it is, I'm so honored to be able to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be, to finally be able to come and visit Current. It's been fun to um, watch you guys from afar. We celebrated your launch with you guys and watched over this last year. We've been praying for you. We've been seeing all the pictures popping up and such. It's been fun to be able to see that. I want you to know that there are, there are those in the Bay Area that are celebrating what's happening right here. And there are those in the Bay Area that are praying for you and that believe in you. Um, we have a tremendous respect for Pastor David and Cindy and their leadership here and their heart for uh, you guys and for this city. And I, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke here. I, I truly believe this, that as you guys stay faithful to your mission as a church, as you stay faithful to the vision that God has called you to here in Mountain View, that, that this city will never be the same as a result of God placing you here together. I really believe that. I believe the best is yet to come for Mountain View because of current church. So stay committed to one another, stay committed to what God has called you to in this community, and as you guys continue to share the hope and the love of God for this community, again, it's never going to be the same. The best is yet to come. Um, but as Pastor David asked me if I'd come and share for a few minutes, um, is it okay? I'm totally ruining everything. Um, uh, <laughs> and he asked me if uh, I, I could come and share for a few minutes. Um, he told me about the current series that you guys are in uh, called One God, One Story, and how you guys together are looking at this overarching narrative of the Old Testament. And so when I heard that, I asked, I said, would it be possible if I uh, could share this one story from the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible? Um, and he said, yes. So I'm really excited to share something with you today. Um, and let me tell you why I chose this story in particular. Um, see, I don't know you guys. Um, I met a couple of you guys. I got a chance to meet Kevin here a couple minutes ago. I, I had a chance to meet a few of you this morning, but I don't really know you but I do know something about you. Um, there are some common denominators for every single one of us in this room. There's some common denominators for every person on this planet, in fact. Um, some things that we all share, and one of those common denominators is that every single one of us, at some point in our life, need a do-over, right? There's some, we've all got it, we've all made some mistakes. There's, for every single one of us, there's some kind of, thing or event or relationship in our past that the only positive thing that comes to mind when we think about that one thing in the past, the only positive thing that comes to mind is that maybe some time has passed between then and now. Does everybody have that? Am I right? Okay. We've all, that's our common denominator. Can I tell you one of mine? Okay. Uh, so I, 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 as Cindy mentioned, I've started pastoring a campus in South San Jose. We launched our campus about a year and a half ago. And um, about six months after we launched, we needed to find a new location to, to meet. And so we moved a couple miles from the community center where we were to uh, high school. And uh, it was about a year, it was August of last year. And so the day before we started meeting in this new location, our team, our awesome team, which is just like you guys' awesome team that makes all of this happen every weekend, um, came the day ahead of time to set everything up and we could try to figure out how we we're going to make everything work in this new location. And so we, we spent the day and we did it. It was August 13th. And I remember that because it was my wife's birthday. And um, so after we set everything up, I was going to then go run home and go take my wife out on a date for her birthday. 
And so as soon as we were done, I remember I literally ran out of the uh, high school into the parking lot and I jumped into the U-Haul that we had used bringing over some of our stuff and I tore off through the parking lot. And at that moment, my mind was completely, my mind was at home at this point. Like, we're, I'm changing, I'm getting ready, I'm taking my wife out, right? So my mind was at home on what was to come. Unfortunately, my mind was not in the cab of the U-Haul truck that I was driving. As I was driving through the parking lot, and I, uh, let me back up here, this parking lot was filled with solar panel overhangs, okay? Somebody just kind of add a new dimension to the story. So as I'm tearing through this parking lot, I clipped the horizontal beam and it twisted and then solar panels start coming raining down on top of me. This is what it looks like. So <laughs> that's, somebody asked me um, if that was a stock photo I found. And that's not. I actually did that. That's me. That's my handiwork right there. So as I am standing there in that parking lot with the school principal, with uh, PG&E, with firefighters, um, all I could think of in that moment was just how uh, desperately I wanted to rewind just a few minutes and have a do-over. Just drive a little bit farther to the left. Um, but in all seriousness, as painful as that experience was and as humiliating as that still kind of is, as I show that to you, and I make that public, what I did. Um, as humiliating as that was, um, that right there pales in comparison to some of the other mistakes I've made in my life. Um, actually, that's kind of a good rendition of what my life has looked like at times. Um, do, you know why, do you know why firefighters had to come out on the scene that day? It's because there were live wires. When the, the solar panels came down, there were live wires out there. So if you got too near, you were going to get hurt. And what occurred to me as I was looking at that picture is I thought, it's again, that's kind of like what my life has looked like at times. Not only have, have I made mistakes where my things just started crumbling down around me, but if you got too close to me, I'd hurt you too. I was, I was hurting those who were nearest and dearest to me. Um, in fact, there, were, there have been times in my life, and I know you don't know me, but I'm just going to go right to it. Um, there are times in my life where I have centered my life on things other than God. Things that I've run to just in hopes that I would get, get the, the love and the meaning and the self-worth and the value that I so desperately desired. It led me to some terrible places. It even led me into a season where I broke my marriage vows. I was unfaithful to my wife because I was running after things and people that I thought would give me what I so desperately desired. My whole life came crumbling down. My marriage came crumbling down. My ministry came crumbling down around me. And if I would have been in your seat and stood and listened to somebody tell me um, from the scriptures, one day God could make everything new. He could restore all things. That one day God will wipe every tear from every eye. You know what I would have said? Nope. <laughs> like not for me. Like, for other people, I get it, but not for me. Not from the places where I've been. There's no way that God could undo the damage that I've done and restore the things that I've destroyed. Again, this is our common denominator. I know not everybody has gone as far as I've gone, made the decisions I've made, but we've all made some mistakes, haven't we? 
We've all made some mistakes. And I, I have a feeling there might be some people here in this room today who might be feeling like I've felt in the past to think that maybe the mistakes have been too many and the damage is too great and there's no coming up from here. If that's you today, I want, I'm here today with a message for you. God is not waiting for you to figure out how to fix things. He's asking you to trust that he already has. God's not waiting for you to try to figure out how to fix things. He's asking you to trust that he already has. And I'm going to prove it to you today. I'm going to prove it through a story from the scriptures. Um, and so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, or if you have a phone, you can turn it on, open up a Bible app if you've got one, and go to, um, go to the uh, book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. Um, it's towards the end of the Old Testament if you're looking for it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. You can just follow along here on the screen. The scriptures will be up there. But I want to tell you a story. I, I want to prove this, this uh, thesis to you and essentially in, a, in one of the most beautiful stories, I'm going to say in history. This is one of the most beautiful love stories in all of history. It's a story that's filled with true love with betrayal, with sacrifice, with rescue, with redemption. It's one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible, and all of history, in fact. And uh, I, I, I think God's got a word for you as well. Um, le- as you turn into the book of Hosea, though, let me give you some real quick context about this story. So Hosea, the book of Hosea is actually named after the guy um, that it's all about. And so we're going to talk about the guy Hosea. Hosea was a prophet, okay? And prophets were simply men or women who are empowered by God to communicate God's message to the world. So they, they communicate maybe a, um, uh, God's character or God's plan for the world. And so more often than not, um, this message would come through words, right? The, the prophet would give a talk like I'm giving now, or he would write something down and then he would communicate that to the people. But every once in a while, God got a little creative, and he would send a message to a prophet in kind of a creative way. This is what he does here with Hosea. I want to show you what he does. Uh, so look with me in Hosea chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 2. It says this. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And so Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dublin. Okay, so hold up. So God says, Hosea, you're new, you're new, to, new prophet, brand new. First thing I want you to do is I want you to go and marry a hooker. This is what he says. And so Hosea, you can just imagine, he, uh, he must have been thinking, um, you know, God, I'm, I'm new to all of this. This is my first time. Surely I misheard you say it one more time. But God says, no. He said, you heard me right. I want you to go marry a prostitute. He said, I want you, just like I have, to go and give your heart to somebody who's going to be unfaithful to you. He said, I want you to go give your heart to someone who's going to be unfaithful, just like I have. And together, we're going to go after a people whose heart may have been unfaithful to us, but we're going to give of our time and our energy and our resources to woo that people back to us. We're going to spend our time pursuing them and drawing them back into our arms. God says, no, Hosea, I too am a husband whose wife has been unfaithful to him. And so, uh, and so he does. Before we move, move on, though, I want to point out a couple things that I think are incredibly important for every one of us to see here. You see, in this, 
picture, in this illustration, God tells us a couple of really important things. Number one, apparently our relationship with God was meant to be like a marriage. I think that's really significant because apparently our relationship with God cannot simply be understood by all of the other metaphors or illustrations that we find in the Bible that, that kind of detail our relationship. Like, you can't, we can't simply understand what our relationship with God is meant to be like simply through the analogy of like a king relating to his subjects or a shepherd relating to his sheep or as a father even relating to his child. All of those are incredibly important. They're in the Bible. They tell us something about our relationship with God, but apparently they don't quite go deep enough. And so God says, no, our relationship with God is really, it's like a marriage. I think that's important because there's nothing on this planet more intimate than a marriage relationship, right? So th there are things you can hide from yourself, or you can, excuse me, hide about yourself to your friends, right? There are things you can hide from your friends about who you are. There are things you can hide from your coworkers about who you are. There are things you can even hide from your family members about who you are. But you can't do that with your spouse because your spouse sees you day in, day out. I see smiles from some of our married ones. You can't hide it because they see you in your good days. They see you in your bad days. They see you in your best. They see you in your worst. They see you when you wake up in the morning, right? They, they know what you look like when you wake up in the morning, and that is not always pretty, right? They know well the scent of your morning breath right? They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But in a, in a healthy marriage relationship, they still love you and accept you right where you are. There's nothing on this planet that's more intimate than a marriage relationship. And psychologists will tell you across the board that the deepest, most fundamental desire of every human soul, every one of us, the deepest, most fundamental desire within our hearts is to be fully known and yet fully loved and accepted at the same time. And this happens in amazing ways in marriages. So do you, do you understand how significant it is when God says, hey, I want our relationship to be like a marriage? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, I know you. I know everything about you. I know you better than you know yourself. You can't hide anything from me. I've seen you in your best days. I've seen you in your worst days. I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. I've seen it all. I know what you're going to do tomorrow, and I still love you. I still accept you. You see how powerful that is? But you know what we also see here? Is that our relationship with God is not just like a marriage, but the reality is, is that our relationship with God is often like a broken marriage. Our relationship with God is like a broken marriage. This metaphor that, that God uses in the story of Hosea um, wrecks me, honestly. It wrecks me as I realize that oftentimes when I have turned my back on God, it's more serious than, I've, than I often care to admit. God's heartbreak over my sin is deeper than I often dare to believe. Again, you think about this, this illustration of marriage. When a citizen breaks the laws of a kingdom, that bothers the king, right? It annoys him. It frustrates him. It's not conducive to a healthy society, so he's going to take action. But really, the king's not going to lose sleep over that, right? When a, when a sheep runs away from its shepherd, that's going to annoy and frustrate the shepherd. He's got to go chase after that sheep. But at some point, the shepherd's thinking, that's ah, a bunch of dumb, mindless animals, right? They're sheep. That's what they do. When a child rebels against its father, again, it bothers the father, it disappoints the father, it upsets the father, but at least at some point, 
the father's going to realize, well, it's, it's a kid. Like, that's my job is I've got to train him up. But when the person you love most in all of the world runs into the arms of another lover, gives himself over to someone else, it's different, isn't it? That's a different kind of pain. That's a different kind of heartbreak. There's, there's nothing, almost nothing in the world that's as painful as that. And again, this is part of the reason why this, this wrecks me so much, this, this illustration, is because I've seen it. I shared with you, I've seen it. I've seen firsthand the pain that adultery can bring. And if I'm, if I'm honest with you, there are times in my life I'm so light about my sin. When I've turned against God, I'm so flippant about my sin. And yet I think what God is telling me here as I read this story is that, no, Philip, don't you see the impact that your rejection has on me? You're prostituting yourself out to these other things that will never satisfy you. You may be here and need to hear the same thing. Whatever it might be that you're centering your life around rather than the one who's called you into relationship with him, if it's your career, if it's your body image, if it's sex, if it's, if it's money, whatever it might be, if you're centering your life around these other things, it breaks the heart of God. We are running to these lesser lovers that will never satisfy us. He says we're prostituting ourselves out. I know some of you were thinking, how was church today? It was like a guest speaker called me a prostitute. <laughs> Um, if I haven't offended you yet, let me take it one step further. Hold on. I'm just ensuring that I'm never going to get asked back. No, that's not true. There's actually a place in the scriptures where it says that prostitution actually isn't a fair assessment of where we are because at least prostitutes get paid. That's from the Bible. That's not. At least prostitutes at the end of the night get something for what they did. But the reality is that we, we're the ones that pay. We are the ones that pay with our time and our energy and our relationships and our resources, all that we have, simply to run after things that will not satisfy these lesser lovers. I know this is hard to hear, but here's the reality. Here's the truth. You cannot understand the great news that I'm about to tell you unless you first understand the bad. You would never appreciate somebody running into your house, breaking into your home, running into your bedroom, dragging you out of your bedroom and out, outside unless you first understood that your house was on fire. And for some of us, our house is on fire. God's heartbreak over our sin is deeper than we've ever dared to believe. But the good news is that his love for us is stronger than we've ever dared to dream. I've got some great news for you. Look how God responds to our unfaithfulness. Chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Therefore, God says, Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyard and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. If the person that you love most in all the world ran off and into the arms of someone else over and over and over again, had child after child with other men, rejected you over and over and over, what, what do you think a natural response would be? Anger. Right? Divorce. Revenge. 
Look at what God's response is to us. He says, I want to allure her and bring her out into the wilderness. In other words, he says, I want to get her out to someplace where we can talk and we can, ha- we can be alone together. We can have a one-on-one conversation. I want to take her out from the party and into the garden where we can have a heart-to-heart. Why? He says, so I can speak tenderly to her. He says, so I have a place where I can bless her. Some of you think that if God got you alone, one-on-one, to have a heart-to-heart, all he would do is yell at you. He would just condemn you for all the stuff you've done. Maybe he'd give you the cold shoulder to get you back for all the mistakes you've made. But I want you to hear what he has to say. He says, no, I, I want to I take you and I want to have a heart-to-heart with you. I want to get one-on-one with you so I can, I can speak tenderly to you and I can bless you. And not only that, he says, not only will I bless you, but I'm going to take those places that you are so ashamed of and I'm going to redeem them. He says, I'm going to take the Valley of Acor and I'm going to turn it into a door of hope. Do you know what the Valley of Acor was? Valley of Acor was the place of Israel's, his people, the place, uh, their place of greatest shame. It was the setting, it was the scene of Israel's first big sin against God. And, and God's saying, now, I want to take that place that you're so ashamed of, that place where you rejected me, and I want to take it, I want to transform it. I want to change it, I want to redeem it. And so now when you think of it, you're no longer going to think about all of the mistakes you made and all the shame that was in your life. And instead, you're going you're gonna to think about my grace to you. You're going to think about my faithfulness to you, even when you are faithless. You're going to think about how I was with you, even in the lowest of times, in your darkest of times. That's what's going to come to mind when you think about that terrible sin you did. You're going to think about my grace. You know, the, the, the things that I shared at the outset of our time, when I shared with you some of the mistakes that I've made, I would take those things back in a heartbeat if I could. If God would give me the opportunity, I'd take him back in a heartbeat. And yet those are some of the times when God, in a way that only he can, has, has been able to show off the most in my life. Show what only he can do. These are the moments when God's been able to kind of flex his muscles and, and show off. God's been able to pick up the broken pieces of my life and hold them up as trophies of grace. I'd take him back in a heartbeat if I could. But you know what God's been able to do through those? He showed me what grace is. For the first time in my life, forgiveness isn't just something we sing about on Sunday mornings. Grace isn't just a a lyric and a catchy song. Grace isn't just ink on a page or a theological concept. It's real. It's true. You can experience it. It'll change you. God used that time to transform my marriage. God saved my marriage. God's allowed me to walk with other men who've done the same things that I've done. He's helped me walk with men and confess their sins to their wives. He's he's allowed me the opportunity to walk with men and help them restore their marriages. I'd take it back in a heartbeat if I could. But God has done unbelievable things. He's taken my valley of acorn, my place of greatest shame and defeat, and he's transformed it into a door of hope. Friends, he can do the same thing for you. There is hope. He can do the same thing for you. He wants to get you alone. He wants to speak tenderly to you. He wants to bless you. He wants to redeem those places in your past. And then he says, and I want to marry you. He actually says it three times in this passage. He says, says, then I'm going to betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. He says, I want to marry you. I want to marry you. I want to marry you. 
And then he says, now let me show you what that would look like. And he shows us in the story of Hosea. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Okay, so let me fill you in on what's happening here. So Hosea, like I said, married this prostitute named Gomer, and Gomer was immediately unfaithful to him, and she starts popping out these kids. She, starts, she has three kids, one of which we at least is not, we know is not Hosea's because he actually names the child not mine. Okay, that's true. All right. Uh, and, then it, and then it goes downhill from there, and she actually leaves Hosea, and she runs and starts actually living with another man who's not caring for her. She, he's abusing her, and then things go from bad to even worse. She starts to get passed around by other men, starts to get pimped out. And we actually pick up the story here where she is actually being sold off as a slave, most likely a sex slave is what scholars say. And she was most likely standing out in front of a brothel, on standing on an auction block. Scholars say she was probably stripped naked so that those who were bidding for her would be able to actually see what they're purchasing. Um, and she's standing out there, and as I imagine this scene, I cannot, I cannot put any scenario in my mind where she's not just weeping in this moment as she's realizing that this is the lowest, most degrading moment of her life where her decisions have brought her to. And she probably had her eyes closed as she's thinking, you know, just trying in any possible way to block out what the reality, what's happening around her, the shame of what's around her. And the men start to bid for her, and she hears five shekels, and then seven shekels, then eight shekels, and then she hears a voice. The last voice that she would have expected to be there in that moment. She hears the voice of Hosea cry out, ten shekels. He starts bidding for his wife. And then somebody counters, 12 shekels. And then Hosea counters 15 shekels. And then the man counters again. And here's the problem. This is where Hosea runs out of money. He's out of cash. So what does Hosea do? Does he give up and walk away? No, he starts selling off the things that he owns. He starts selling stuff. He says, take my barley, take my wine. I don't care. Whatever it takes. And it works. He buys back his wife. And from the text, you can tell what he does. That he must have gone up and he restored her dignity. He takes off his cloak and he puts it around her, covers up her nakedness, and takes her away where they could be alone. Can you imagine what must be going through Gomer's mind in that moment? Why would he do that? After all that I've done, why would he be here? What, why would he be the one paying when I'm the one that's been all the, made all the mistakes? And then it probably hit her. Oh, I know why. Because now he's got me. Now I'm his slave. Now he can get back at me for all the things I've done. Now he can use me and abuse me. Now he can finally get his revenge. But do you know what Hosea says to her? He basically says, he says, oh no, Gomer. He says, I didn't buy a slave. I redeemed a wife. I didn't buy a slave. I redeemed a wife. He said, I want you to come back home. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. He said, but this time, Gomer, he said, let's make things different. He said, let's have a covenant together. Let's make a covenant together. I'm not going to go after women. I don't want you to run after in, in men anymore. No more sharing. 
Like, I, I want to belong to you, and I want you to belong to me. Let's make a covenant together. You give me your whole heart, and I'm going to give you mine. Friends, did you know that the same invitation stands available for you today? God will make your heart whole if you'll give him your whole heart. This story is not just a, an amazing love story from thousands of years ago. This story, it's our story. This is our story. In fact, do you know what the name Hosea means in Hebrew? It means salvation. You know what the Greek form of that name is? The Greek form of Hosea's name. Same name, but just in the Greek. Jesus. It's Jesus. This is our story. The reality is, is that for every single one of us, there comes a point where we realize that we too have stood on that auction block. Our decisions have brought us to this place where we realize that things are falling apart. We're filled with shame. And in the moment when we least expect it, a voice comes out. Somebody shows up. Jesus paid it all for you. And he paid it all for me. On the cross, Jesus took the payment for every one of my sins. Every one of your sins. And he stands ready today to offer you a covenant, a newness, and inviting you back into the relationship for which you were created. He's not buying a slave. He's redeeming the ones he loves. He's inviting you back in. We're going to close here in just one moment. Do I have time to tell one more story? Let me just share one more thing as we close. I was having a conversation with a guy at a coffee shop uh, just, just the other day. I was working at a local coffee shop, and a guy shows up. And I knew him from the coffee shop, and he, he, uh, he walked in, and I knew him from the shop, so I said, hey, man, what's up? And he sat down, and he said, um, he's, I, said I said, how's it going? And he said, ah, not great. And I said, oh, so I kind of stopped what I'm doing. I said, I mean, is everything okay? Is work going okay? And he said, yeah, it's not work. He said, it's a relationship thing. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And then he, like, dove right in. He said, actually, it's not really that. It's more than that. He said, I just, he said, I've been having all of these thoughts lately, and I just can't seem to shake them. He said, I feel so lost right now. He said, have you thought about this? He said, what if this is all there is? What if there's nothing else? He said, what if we're just born, you live, and you die, and that's it? He said, that is a terrifying thought. And so I kind of listened for a little while, and he said, I, I just feel so alone. I, I, I start asking him some questions, and eventually he brought up the idea of a God. He said, what if, what if there's something else out there? And so I asked him, I said, Man, well, what's your background in, in all of that? Tell me what your experience is with all of that. And so he said, well, I used to believe in a God. He said, I used to believe that there was something out there. He said, but then I started just having all these questions and doubts, and now I don't really know. And so I told him, I said, you know, I've, I've, had this, I've been in the same place. I said, I, there was a long season of my life where I had a lot of questions and doubts about whether or not there was a God. And, and not only have I gotten to the point where I actually do believe there's a God, but I've actually even come to the point where, where I've centered my whole life around him now. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, would you mind if I just share with you a couple of the reasons why I took that step? And he said, sure. And so I shared with him for a few minutes. And, and he said, okay. Like, I get, I, I see where you're coming from. And he said, it makes sense. He said, but even if there is a God, how do you know that he cares? How do you know he cares about you? He said, because, he said, for a long time in my life, I've wondered this. And, and he said, I used to just, 
I, I used to be better at kind of pushing that down. He said, I used to go surfing a lot. So whenever I'd surf, like right after I'd surf, he said, for just a few fleeting moments, when I'd get out of the water, I feel like everything was okay. Like I was okay, people around me were okay, like the whole world's going to be all right. He said, but as soon as the moment came, it was gone. And so he said, so eventually I decided I'm going to just start drinking. And anytime he'd get those feelings of loneliness or emptiness, he'd just drink it away. He said, but then things got out of hand. And so he, st- so he got sober. He said, I couldn't drink anymore. So he said, then I just, then I turned to women. And he said, I became a womanizer, is what he said. And he said, Philip, he said that the emptiest feeling in my life came when I started womanizing. It brought me the emptiest feeling I've ever had in my life. He said, I feel so utterly alone. I just wish I knew that there was something out there that cared about me. And so I asked him, I said, man, would you mind if I told you a story? And he said, sure. And so I told him the story of Hosea. And I told him, I said, man, I, I don't know much, but I can say this with confidence. There is a God that loves you. There is a God to whom you matter. There is a God that wants a relationship with you. And he didn't just say it in a book. He proved it on the cross. God demonstrates, he proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He proved it. And then he kind of stopped me, he interrupted me, he said, Philip, but maybe you're not listening to me. He, he said, I'm a womanizer. He said, I have done some terrible things in my life. And so I leaned in and I looked him in the eye and I said, you are talking to a man who has cheated on his wife and who has hurt person after person after person. If God can forgive and restore a man like me, he can do it with anybody. And I said, I've been where you are, where you're questioning whether or not what you've done is too far. But the, re- but the reality is we hold on to the promises that God tells us. And I said, there were times in my life when I would have to repeat these certain verses every single day to myself. I would, t- I would repeat Psalm 103, for example. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel the Lord is gracious he's compassionate he's slow to anger he's abounding in love he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever listen to this he does not treat us as our sins deserve nor does he repay us according to our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. These are the things we cling to. We had an incredible conversation that day and some, several days after. For at least some level, this man understands what God is offering to him today through Jesus. But he hasn't said yes yet. You know what I think is really interesting is that you look at the story of Jose and Gomer. We don't know what she said. It doesn't tell us how, how she responded. It bothered me at first. I thought, what the heck? Like, it's a great story. Finish it. But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized how fitting that that was. Because the reality is that just because Hosea did this unbelievable, showed him this unbelievable love and faithfulness to her, just because he did all of this and offered himself back to her and redeemed her and all this, it doesn't automatically mean that she's going to say yes. She could have said yes or she could have walked away back into her old life. 
And the same is true for us. Just because Jesus has shown us this incredible love and he's offered us this redemption and he's inviting us back into the life that we were created for doesn't mean we're going to experience it. He gives us a choice. He invites you back in and you can say yes or you're free to go back into the old life to which you lived. How have you responded? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible story that we find in the scriptures. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, every one of us, to see this. Not just a, um, it's not just a story from a few thousand years ago that bears no weight on our life today, but God, but is it meant to be a picture for each one of us of where we are today and where we're being invited into. I pray, Father, that today you'd help every single person say yes to where you're calling them. For those of the, the folks here who have been following you for a long time, God, I pray that you would restore to them the joy of their salvation, that they would be reminded of the amazing grace that you have offered, the grace that changes us. And Father, I pray that for those of the folks here, I know there are folks here who have not taken that step today. I pray, God, that you would give them clarity of mind to be able to know what you're calling them to and that you'd give them the courage to be able to say yes to you. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just simply want to tell you, if you are here um, and you've not taken that step to say yes to, to the forgiveness that, that God is offering to you, and you feel like things, uh, you're filled with shame over some of the mistakes you've made, you're feeling this weight of, of the decisions on your shoulders, and you just want to be free, I want you to know that God wants the same thing for you. He wants to set you free. And I just want to encourage you, there's no magic words. The Bible doesn't give us some prayer to pray that if you just pray these simple words that it would all go away. You just simply tell him from your heart to his what's, on, what, what's going through your mind right now. If you want forgiveness, ask him. If there's some things in your life that you need to let go of that, that's hurting you and hurting those around you and hurting the heart of God, then, then confess it. Tell him. Ask him to help you live for him from this day forward. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you today for your amazing love, your amazing grace. And we just pray, God, your special blessing on this church as they continue to bring this love or this message of love and hope and peace to Mountain View. Bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.